So I'm not one who believes the Torah literally, who believes that all of the stories happened exactly in the way that we read them or with many that they happened at all. If you've been in a Torah study class with me, you've heard me say that I'm far more concerned with truth with a capital T that's found in any given story than whether or not the stories are factually true. But what if they were? While usually I look for the values that are embedded within the stories, not concerning myself with the details, sometimes it's fun to think the other way. So let's think about this for just a minute. The following is from the end of last week's Torah portion, the story of Noah, as the Torah traces the lineage from Noah to Abraham. This is the part we usually skip over. Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood and lived 350 years after, which made him 950 years old when he died. Noah was 500 years old when he had his son Shem, meaning Shem was 100 at the time of the flood. Shem was 102 when he begot Arpachshad, and he lived to be 600. Arpachshad was 35 when he begot Shelah, and he lived to be 438. Shelah was 30 years old when he begot Ever, and he lived to be 433. Ever was 34 when he begot Peleg, who lived, and Peleg, uh, sorry, Ever lived to be 464. Peleg was 30 when he begot Reu and lived to be 239. Reu was 32 when he begot Sarug and also lived to be 239. How's that for a coincidence? Sarug was 30 when he begot Nahor and lived to be 230. Nahor was 29 when he begot Terach and lived to be 148. And Terach was 70 years old when he begot Abram, the one who would become Abraham. Did you follow that? Okay. Now, I had never really thought about this before reading our, our Parsha this week. And I'm guessing you may not have noticed fully but you did notice that especially early on, these men lived for a long time after, is it begetting their first child? Now, what you didn't notice is that if we do the math or look at this handy-dandy chart, as long as we have our screens up today, we see that Noah, Abraham's great, 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 great-grandfather. That was eight greats making ten generations. Noah was alive and 898 years old when Abram was born. Yes, that is crazy old, as the kids would say. Do kids still say that? No. no. As I used to say. Okay, yes, that's crazy old, as I would say. But at 898 years old, remember, Noah lived to be 950. So Noah still had 52 years of life left when Abram was born. Meaning Abram lived 52 years of life with his great, 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 great grandfather right there with him. 
Now, Leah and I have talked about how strange it is to think about Abraham at 75 years old, leaving home for the first time. That's a scary thought for parents of high school students. (laughs) While Noah would have died 23 years earlier, Shem, Noah's son, Arpachshad, Shelach, and Ever, the next four generations, would have all still been living when Abram left home. So it wasn't just his father's home he was leaving. It was truly the home of his ancestors. I know the numbers are hard to fathom, and we can perhaps explain that years were different at that time, or maybe aging was different. But either way, these numbers were not a mistake in the Torah. The Torah would not contain numbers that suggest that Abraham and Noah existed together if we weren't supposed to think that Abraham and Noah existed together. Now, it's not in our traditional midrash, um, but at least one work of modern midrash, a work likely written within the Jewish community of Venice in the early 17th century, Although if you ask some, especially in the Hasidic and actually Mormon communities, they believe that this book is much older, coming from the time of the Second Temple. But this one book of Midrash called Sefer Hayashar does in fact tell us not just that Abram and Noah lived at the same time, but they spent significant time together. In filling the holes of Abraham's life, Sefer Hayashar tells us that King Nimrod, who was Noah's great-grandson through another son, Ham, in an effort to protect his reign, ordered the death of all male children, similar to the story we know of Moses. Nimrod had heard a prophecy that a child would be born who would be the father of a great nation. Abram's mother, therefore, delivered him in a cave so that he would be safe and protected. He stayed in that cave until he was 10 years old, and we read, I quote, When Abram left the cave, he went at once to the house of Noah and his son Shem. And Abram dwelt with them in their house to learn the knowledge and fear of God and all the ways of the Lord. And nobody knew Abram at that time, and he ministered unto unto Noah and unto Shem for many days. And Abram lived in Noah's house for 39 years. And Abram knew the Lord from his third year on, and he walked in the ways of the Lord even unto the day of his death, according to the teachings of Noah and his son Shem. So now this Midrash not only has the two knowing each other, but teaches that, no, that Abram lived with Noah and Shem for some of his most formative years. This is especially interesting when you think about the ways in which Abraham and Noah are later compared to one another by the rabbis. Noah in the Torah is called righteous for his generation, and the rabbis are quite critical of him, saying righteous for his generation, meaning he would not be considered righteous at another time. For when God revealed the plan to destroy the world, Noah remained silent. When told that only his family would be saved, again, silent. As Rabbi Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs the former chief rabbi of England writes, Noah is the paradigm of biblical obedience. He does as he is commanded. What his story tells us is that obedience is not enough. Rabbi Sachs continues, Intuitively, the rabbis understood that the hero of faith was not Noah but Abraham. 
Abraham, who fought a war to rescue his nephew, who prayed for the people of the plain even though he knew they were wicked. Abraham, who challenged heaven itself in words unrivaled in the history of human encounter with God, saying, Shall the judge of all the earth not do justice? What might an Abraham have said when confronted with the possibility of a flood? He would have asked, What if there are 50 righteous people? What if there are 10? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Abraham, uh, Rabbi Sachs writes, might have saved the world. Noah saved only himself and his family. Abraham might have failed, but Noah, at least on the evidence of the text, did not even try. Noah's end? Drunk, disheveled, an embarrassment to his children. Eloquently tells us that if you save yourself while doing nothing to save the world, you do not save yourself. Noah couldn't live with the guilt of survival. And so Rabbi Sachs ends his analysis. But it's this dichotomy between the two that makes the possibility of Abraham sitting with his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather that much more important. What if the final story we have of Noah in the Torah, that of a man who has lost control of himself and perhaps a deep depression over what has occurred. What if that were not the end of Noah's story? And instead, we have that same Noah along with his son, two men who experienced the worst of humanity and the worst of God, sharing their wisdom with a member of a future generation who was finally ready to learn from it. I can only imagine their conversation. The obedient Noah with the slightly more tenacious Abram, telling his story. Perhaps Noah himself expressing regret that he hadn't argued, that he had watched the destruction of the helpless, when perhaps he could have helped. Maybe Abram listened as Noah reflected on how he wished he would have done things differently, or maybe it was after prodding from Abram, what do you mean you didn't say anything, pop-pop? Or pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop? You just built your boat and left? Maybe Noah saw the error of his ways, or maybe he didn't. Maybe Noah said, it was a different time back then. You don't understand. The beauty of this story, however, regardless of how the conversation may have gone, is that Abram's intimate knowledge of Noah and his story would have shaped the way in which Abram and then Abraham would face his future. When Abram was told of the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, now it's not simply his own inherent search for righteousness that causes him to question God, but rather an embodiment of the lessons he learned from the story of the flood. And when we are horrified that Abraham does not question God's request to sacrifice his son, a silence I question quite differently from this Bhima on Rosh Hashanah, but now we see an Abraham who saw Noah as selfish, only looking out for himself, and in trying to do things differently, even though he had risked himself to save others, does not want to do the same for himself and his own family. We still disagree with his actions, but we understand them in a new way. As we read the Torah, 
As I mentioned, we often skip these lineages as boring, as a list of names. But even without the math or stories of caves and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, they teach us that no one single life exists in a vacuum. They remind us that each of our own stories are linked to those before us and to those who will later come from us. Our question then is how we let the lessons of our ancestors teach us. How do we learn from those things we admire in our family's history? And how do we strive not to repeat their mistakes? How do we stop ourselves when we do see ourselves repeating those mistakes? And as we live our lives, what will the impact of our actions be on the next generation or ten generations from now? And beyond our own families, how do the actions of our world ten generations ago impact us today? And how will our decisions help or hurt the world of the future? God said to Abram, Lech lecha, go forth from your birthplace, from your native land, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Abram left his home, but he did not leave his home behind. He took his family's story with him, and his past became a part of his future. His ancestors had made mistakes. He made mistakes. And both in spite of those mistakes and because of them, because of the conversation that he would have with each of them, Abraham was blessed. May we too find blessings in our past. May we strive to create blessings in our future, in our present. And may each of us write our own stories in such a way that future generations will converse with them and learn from them. And in so doing, may we pave the way for future generations to lach lecha, to go forth, to be a blessing.